Today's scripture is Colossians 1, 13 through 20. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. In November of 2015, there was a supermarket in Great Britain that put an advertisement in the newspaper. They were creating a new job. And that job title was Christmas Light Untangler. And this is the way their ad description read. Interested applicants must be genuinely passionate about Christmas, have strong communication skills, and have the ability to untangle three meters of Christmas lights in under three minutes. How does one remain passionate about Christmas when untangling Christmas lights? I think that is probably one of the worst jobs that we face when we're getting ready to decorate for Christmas. They actually had 100 applicants in just a few days for this position. But the same question is for us. How do we remain passionate about our faith? How do we remain passionate about Jesus in the trials and in the hardships of our lives? Now, last week we started a new series on Colossians called Rethinking Life. Because if we want to experience the fullness of life, and if we want to impact the people we love, the people that we care about, we need to rethink our priorities. We need to rethink how we spend our time. We have to rethink our purpose and life's meaning. We have to rethink our relationship with Jesus and challenge ourselves to go deeper with him. We talked about the Colossians and how they were known for their faith. Paul had never visited Colossae, yet he had heard about their faith. And they were also known for their love for one another. And in our text this morning, Paul's pointing us back to Jesus. Because rethinking our life always has to start with Jesus. Paul gives us the grandest picture of Jesus In all of scripture, there's no picture of Jesus like the script that we heard this morning. And it gives us five attributes of Jesus that make him worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of being at the center of our lives. The first thing we learn is that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, the Greek word there for image is the same one they use for the image on a coin. 
just like Abraham Lincoln's image on a penny. That's what they were saying. That's the image of God. You know, we may never get to meet Abraham Lincoln, but we know what he looks like. And that's what Paul's saying. Some of you didn't get to meet Jesus, but you know, I mean, God, but you know what he looks like because you've seen Jesus. The image of God, the invisible God in Jesus. Even Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't ask me to see the Father. You've seen him because you've seen me, he said. When people saw Jesus, he wasn't just like God. He didn't just have God-like qualities. He wasn't a cheap imitation of God, like the Rolex watches you can buy on the streets of New York. He wasn't a cheap imitation. He was and is God. The second thing we learn, he is the ruler of all things. Verse 15 continues with, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Jesus is the ruler of all things. You know, some translations use the term firstborn over all creation. Now, that does not mean that Jesus was created. Firstborn of creation does not mean he was the first created. That's not what that means. Firstborn was the term that was used in the Greek and and Jewish culture that meant he was the heir of it all. In the cultures, it was the firstborn was the one who got it all. He was the leader of the family. And so Paul calls him the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he is heir of it all. He is Lord of creation because he created it all. It's his. And he is the leader of our family. Everything means everything. (laughs) Because for through him God created everything. And in the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything... Again, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the physical world. Everything was created through him. You know, we celebrate people for inventions. We have Bill Gates, we have Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, and you know, their accomplishments are impressive, and they've changed the world. But none of them have created something from nothing. They all created something from what God had already done. It reminds me of an illustration I had read a couple of years ago where God was approached by a scientist. And the scientist said to him, Listen, God, we've decided we don't need you anymore. These days, you know, we can clone people. We can transplant organs. And, you know, we can do all sorts of things. And, you know, we can do our own miracles. We, we, we don't need you anymore. And God replied, You don't need me, huh? 
Well, how about if we put that theory to the test? Why don't we have a competition to see who can make a human being? To which the scientist said, okay, that's good, let's do it. And God says, okay, well, let's do it the way I did it in the very beginning when I created Adam. Scientist says, yeah, he's feeling kind of proud of himself. All right, let's do this. Scientist bends down, starts to pick up some dirt. And God says, uh-uh, get your own dirt. We tend to think that we do things. But everything we do, it's because of what God has already done. We forget that. Because Jesus is supreme over all things. And he holds it all together. Let's do a quick science lesson. You know, atoms are what make matter. Atoms are about the smallest level that we can see with a, not with a naked eye, but in scientific realm. So, but a, an atom consists of a nucleus. It's filled with protons. And outside that nucleus are electrons. They're swirling around, swirling around. Now, scientists for years have been trying to figure out what is that force? What is that force that just holds that atom together? Why don't the, the protons just shoot out everywhere? Why don't the electrons fly off? What is that force that's holding it together? And so they've been searching for it for years, and they think they've discovered it. They've called it the God particle, which is ironic because the gentleman who's discovered it is actually an atheist, and so he presents the name God particle. Anyway, but Colossians 3.17 tells us what that force is. It's Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus created the molecular forces that hold the world together. But science is, no, we must know how it's out. It's right there. Jesus, Jesus. That's who holds it together. Let it be a comfort to you, church. Jesus, the creator of the universe, he's holding the world together right down to the smallest details at the atomic level. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter how chaotic and crazy your world seems to be, Jesus is in control. Jesus is holding it together. And he won't let go. He never lets go. The fourth thing we learn is that Jesus is head of the church. Christ is also head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. You know, the Bible uses many metaphors to describe the church. We call it a family. We call it a kingdom, a vineyard, a flock. But the most profound metaphor that there's never an Old Testament equivalent for is the church as a body, with Jesus as the head. Jesus is Lord of the church. The pastor's not the head of the church. No committee formed is the head of the church. Jesus alone is the head of the church. 
He's the mission. He sets the mission for the church. He sets the vision for the church. It's Jesus who's sovereign over the church. And as believers, as part of the body, we have to recognize that he's sovereign over us as well. Just as Jesus was supreme over creation, he's sovereign over the church. He's sovereign over us as well. What does that mean? That means that he's not impressed with your church attendance. He doesn't want an hour a week. He doesn't want one day a week. He wants to be preeminent in your life. He wants to be there 24-7. He loves you that much. He wants to be a part of your life always, every day, all the time. When you go to work, recognize that ultimately you're working for God. You're not working for the boss that's making your life difficult. When you take care of your family, you're doing it for him. Even in the moments when you're kicking back and having a good time, he's the one that you seek to honor with that fun. Oh, but that puts restrictions. That means I can't go get drunk. That means I can't watch certain things on TV or certain movies. Yes, but think about what Jesus is for you. Think about what Jesus did for you. How do you want to honor him? Is that how you want to honor him? No. He deserves better than that. Everything we do is for his glory and for his pleasure. We can't argue with him. I read a story this week from a gentleman in a commentary on our verse for this morning. And he tells a story of playing in a softball game. And their team was not doing so well, and his coach was getting frustrated. And so someone was up at bat, and the ump made a call. And this coach didn't like the call, so he's running up. What are you, you know, that's, that's wrong. You, you're wrong. You're not calling that call correctly. So the ump pulls out a rule book reads page 27, paragraph 3B, section 1. And he says, as you can see, the rule means that my call must stand, he says to the coach. And unconvinced, the coach yells, no, but you're interpreting that rule incorrectly. To which the ump says, well, excuse me, I think I should know. I wrote the rule book. That's Jesus. You can't argue with Jesus. Don't waste your energy arguing with him over what his rules for your life are. Don't argue over your interpretation of his rule book. He wrote it. He knows what it says. The sooner we realize his lordship over our lives, the better and more bearable our lives will actually be. He's with you wherever you go. He's with you in every circumstance. Just yield over to him. Yield those struggles. Stop fighting. 
And the fifth thing we learn about Jesus is that he's our redeemer. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Remember last week we talked about the false teachers that were in Colossae. They were trying to convince people that Jesus was not God. They were trying to tell them Jesus was just a man. There was nothing special about him. And Paul says, no, in Christ was the fullness of God. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. It was the only way that he could redeem us. John Piper says it this way. He says, because Jesus is God, he is all-powerful, and he cannot be defeated. Because Jesus is God, he is the only adequate Savior. Because Jesus is God, believers are safe and can never perish. We have security. Because Jesus is God, we can have confidence that he will empower us for the task that he commands of us. And because Jesus is God, all people will be accountable to him when he returns to judge the world. But because Jesus is also man, he has experienced the same things as us. Because Jesus is a man, he can identify with us more intimately. Because Jesus is a man, he can come to our aid as our sympathetic high priest when we reach the limits of our own human weakness. Because Jesus is a man, we can relate to him. He's not far off and uninvolved. He understands us. And because Jesus is a man, we cannot complain to God, you don't understand. Because he experienced it firsthand. And because Jesus is both God And man, we have been redeemed. We've been reconciled to the Father. Remember that you were once far away from God. You were separated from God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you've been brought near because of the blood of Christ. As Redeemer, Jesus came to deliver us from our bondage to sin. He came to redeem us from death. He paid the price as our redeemer and purchased our salvation with his own blood. He was our ransom. There was a price that had to be paid, and he paid it with his own life. He chose to die that we might live. He was our avenger, meaning that he took our vengeance upon himself the very vengeance that was meant for us. But we were spared because of Jesus. This sacrifice and all that he did for us, there's so much more. So much more. He befriends us. He loves us. He touches our lives with healing. He wipes away our tears He meets our every need, and he comforts us, and he encourages us. He fights our battles for us. 
He guides us into all truth. And he's actually gone away to prepare a place for you. Do you think he's worthy of centering our lives around? I think so. I think so. When we want to rethink our lives, we've got to start with Jesus. I want to reread our text this morning, but I want to read you the message translation because it, it presents a picture that we need to grab a hold of. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son that he loves so much, the Son who got us out of the pit that we were in. He got rid of the sins that we were doomed to keep repeating over and over. We look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does over a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him. And not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people, things, animal, atoms, they get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of him and his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Beautiful illustration of what Christ is for us. As we rethink life, we must start with Jesus. He's the one holding it together. He's holding us together. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. He's our sustainer. He is Emmanuel, God with us.